Ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the universe, fantasy footballers, Dynasty League dirtballs, NFL draft fans, and DFS degenerates worldwide, this is the Roster Watch Podcast, presented by RosterWatch.com. Roster Watch Nation, prepare for pop, flash, and sizzle. Prepare for knowledge bombs and cockamamie business. The Roster Watch crew is here to deliver the goods you can't find anywhere else. Here is your host, RosterWatch.com Editor-in-Chief, Alex Dunlap. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the epic Roster Watch podcast brought to you by RosterWatch.com. I'm Alex Dunlap here, of course, with Byron Lambert, and we are going to have a listener questions edition of the pod today. Apologies for only getting one out this week. We're just now back from the combine. Um, just kind of had the beginning of the week to get everything back together. We have some new premium tools coming up at RosterWatch.com. We have the team needs tool pre-free agency, which is awesome. Uh, just sent over from our guy Mike Band. We'll be getting that up at some point. Hopefully over the course of the weekend, we have the uh, best ball cheat sheet that's been updated now to version 1.3 for our pro subscribers. Now that MFL 10s have opened up in earnest over there on Fanball, and I can't recommend that enough. It's a, it's a much easier experience than it was over on my fantasy league. But um, so we have those open back up. Of course, we have the best ball drafts going on over at over at draft.com and on the draft app and we have trash man's trait matrix uh, a, a new version of i believe version 1.3 of both the running backs and the wide receivers all up on the site you can access all of that information with a pro membership at rosterwatch.com but first uh be, before we get into these listener questions here on the pod i wanted to ask byron what the hell did you think about uh DeMarco Murray now gone from the Titans time to saddle up with our boy Derrick Henry it's time to let the time to let the beast feast yeah one of those situations where I couldn't be more happy to have been wrong about something so I was just trying to tap the brakes on all that and they didn't really need to cash but the migration of the zone scheme with no fullback I think really sealed the deal uh, with DeMarco even if he had been willing to take a, a pay cut so look it's it's what we've been waiting for it's what we've been hoping for uh, we are the original Derrick Henry loyalists. And I mean, you know me, you said it was a hot take about four to six weeks ago, but I mean, I'm going to start thinking about him right around the David Johnson area of things. Well, his ADP does not make that necessary at this point. You can get them both if you'd like to, you know, at this, at this point, um, let me just ask you, you know, as far, basically his ADP puts him below these players and I'll just his current ADP puts him below these players and I'll just kind of list them off to you Todd Gurley Ezekiel Elliott Le'Veon Bill David Johnson Leonard Fournette Saquon Barkley Kareem Hunt Alvin Kamara Melvin Gordon LaShawn McCoy Mark Ingram Devontae Freeman Dalvin Cook and somewhere around the area of you know a Christian McCaffrey Jordan Howard where do you have Derrick Henry right now if you want to make sure that you get him? And, and, and we're talking in terms of the best ball cheat sheet here, but not to where you're going to be. You know, if, if you put him up there in the David Johnson area where you're saying you might take him in a vacuum, that's just that, that's an overreach because you'll be able to get him 
with your second round pick, if you pick David Johnson at 1.05, 1.04, somewhere around there, where would you have Derrick Henry, though, slotted right now among those players to make sure that you got him in the second round? Like, would you would you have him above Mark Ingram? I mean, I think I'd have him at a natural decision point right around Melvin Gordon. Okay, perfect. Well, that's exactly where he is on on the newest version, on version 1.3 of the cheat sheet. Just at that natural decision point, wherever after you get Antonio Brown and DeAndre Hopkins off of the board is the uh, I I what I what I believe should be the consensus clear top two, and, and, and on their own tier as far as wide receivers. I think the next decision point is when you get to the. Melvin Gordon, you know, maybe Odell Beckham's kind of slides to that area. Michael Thomas and Julio Jones should slide to that area. I think that Derrick Henry and LaShawn McCoy, Melvin Gordon should all kind of be in that tier together. And that's where I have them on the most recent version of the cheat sheet. If we need to move them up, we will, because we want to make sure that we have exposure to Derrick Henry. But certainly a, a big development there. The other big development, we talked about it on our show that we did with Roto Grinders, but it uh, turns out that we called it correctly on Allen Robinson. Jaguars moving on from him. And the more and more I've thought about this, whenever we first kind of heard this in Indianapolis, I thought to myself, like, I just, I wasn't, you know, I, I thought, you know, why would they, I, I thought, I don't know if this is true, for one. And for two, why would they get rid of Allen Robinson and want to keep Marquise Lee? And I've been thinking about it over the course of these last couple of days. And there's nobody who has better information about where Allen Robinson is in his recovery from the ACL than the Jacksonville Jaguars. Does it worry you a little bit about Allen Robinson that they don't want him? Not really, but I mean, that's, that's a long time mantra in the NFL of kind of like the old good GMs that there's a reason that somebody else didn't want that player. You know, there's good players. People keep their own good players. There's, you know, there's there's a reason that somebody else let him go. So I think it's interesting. I mean, I think Allen Robinson would be a really nice fit with the Jaguars. And I think he's a good player. But circumstantially, uh, to me, the move makes quite a bit of sense, you know, the more that you consider all the factors at play. Yeah. I don't know. To me, it does. I'm like I'm I'm like these Jaguars fans on Twitter that berated us when we first came out with the report. I don't think it makes any sense unless there's something they know that we don't know. But you know, maybe maybe there's something. It doesn't maybe they went to the AFC Championship without Allen Robinson, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to do with anything with the injury. Maybe they maybe he complains in the locker room that Bortles sucks. You know, maybe he there maybe there could be stuff like that. Maybe they well, know that, he's not that did happen. That did happen last preseason. Right. I mean, he strikes me as a good dude in the locker room that most people like. But I just think they know it's a Leonard Fournette offense, and they understand that they're going to need to reorganize and reallocate some of their resources moving forward to the rest of that roster. They're not sure whether Blake Bortles is really going to be there for any more than another year or two. Why well, have that much money? tied up in a receiver long-term or even in a one-year deal if you don't really know what that situation is going to be. And, you know, as we heard, it's, what is it, Nathaniel Hackett. He he likes these faster guys running these crossers. And I also think, I know people argue that Allen Robinson is the guy to, <clears throat> to take folks out of the box for Leonard Fournette, but 
Really, there was only one season where he proved that to be true. David Caldwell told us two years ago that Allen Robinson could not beat double coverage. And that had become a real problem. That's why his yards per catch had dipped down to like 12 yards a catch two years ago. So, uh, you know, I, I think there's a good argument that guys like D.D. Westbrook can pull folks out of the box as well or more than Allen Robinson and happen to fit the the scheme that this coordinator's running and the, the the profile of wide receiver that he looks for. Yeah, and we've said before that Nathaniel Hackett is a guy who I feel like a lot of people slept on last year as somebody that deserves a lot of credit for what that team was able to do. You know, that's a he's a good coach. He comes from really good bloodlines. Just a, a really good coach. Would not be surprised if in the next couple of years we start hearing uh, if, if the things can keep up there with Jacksonville the way they have, we'll start hearing his name tossed around for possible head coaching vacancies. But all right, I let's like get, that. I like let, that. Let's 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 get on here to the uh, listener questions. Looks like we had about sixteen replies. Out of those sixteen replies, it looks like a few of them came from Eagles fan thirty five thirty five, which aren't actual questions. He's just talking about his <laughs> about how uh, his 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 dark Caribbean rum and the different things about the robot genius. Um, so probably more like probably 12, 10 to twelve questions here. We'll just go through them. I have not uh, I have not really looked too deep into these questions. Uh, yet I've just favorited them as they as the responses came into our initial call. So we'll get through them right can, now, and we'll answer can, them on the fly. L- l- can I tell you what what a real stick in my craw is right now? As I'm knee deep in the roster watch corporate taxes. What the hell is that all about? How much goddamn money we pay the disgusting trash man? <laughs> Does it hurt? I, put, I'm thinking about asking. The, I'm thinking about asking the CPA this year if we can write it all off as a charitable donation. <laughs> I can't believe that. Yeah, I can't believe that we pay. I can't believe that we pay him what we pay him. He really doesn't. He never comes on the podcast. He doesn't come on the radio show during during the off season. All he really does right now is does the trait matrix. He writes um, crappy articles that you aren't even expecting. There was an article. There was an article. You can't even he, publish to the website. I couldn't even publish it. I couldn't even publish it. It was an article called "The Four Best Landing Spots for Quarterbacks," and it was basically Kirk Cousins' final four. <laughs> like it's things that everybody knows. You know, we all know that the New York Jets, the Denver Broncos, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Minnesota Vikings all need quarterbacks. I didn't need a fucking article about that, and we're not a company that writes articles on our website. We put tools on our website. Like, I, you know, just. He absolute. truly, he's a reprehensible man. It's just, uh, yeah. People think this is a bit. And it just, it simply isn't a bit. He is a very good fantasy player. And that's, that's I guess. Redraft fantasy player. Terrible dynasty player. Um, okay. <laughs> that's, that's funny you make that distinction because he is not good in dynasty. Why? I don't know, man. He lives. He likes to live in the in the moment. He in the he does. He does. He he he's not good at planning for the future. <laughs> okay. Um. So all right. Here's the first one. Uh, the one I did read. Okay. Let's see. There was one from Shane Seeley last week. He asked about the um. The roster watch theme song, where that. You know, what song is that, where it comes from? I can just answer that one. I wrote that song and performed that song. So the song that brings us in and the song that takes us out, 
That's one that I wrote and performed with some of my best friends, uh, Dave Wiley on cello, Brian Batch on violin. You probably know, uh, some of you guys may remember Baron Batch from the Pittsburgh Steelers, the running back out of Texas Tech. That was Brian's little brother. And then on drums, Tommy Rolson. I played the bass guitar on that recording. I think I also played some guitars and some keys on it. And I also co-wrote the song with those guys. And I remember whenever, you know, that was a song that the first time that I heard Brian and Dave dicking around with that on their violin and cello, it was a lot slower. You know, like, a, like the tempo of it was a lot slower. And I said, man, if, if we could just up the tempo on that song and we could jam it out with like, you know, with rock drums and rock guitars and, and, a, and a bass and just, you know, just overdub just a shitload of strings over it. It would sound like awesome football music. And I didn't know that I would eventually end up using it for, you know, my radio show. I just thought that, um, I thought that we could maybe license it to some kind of, you know, company or something like that. That was back during a time before we started Roster Watch and I was still making my money as a touring musician and trying to make money on publishing deals and stuff. So that's where that song comes from. It's called Run. It's by me. Dave Wiley, Brian Batch, and Tommy Rolson, and it's published under Alex Dunlap Music Publishing. I thought it okay. was always like I always thought it was like a one man band, like Keller Williams kind of deal. <laughs> what do you mean? You thought that I did the whole song? Yeah, I thought you had everything on loop and had your had your. No, we recorded that live in a studio. Like just we we did the drums, the bass, and the initial cello and violin tracks live and then brian and dave just went back through and just each put on like 80 tracks of different string parts and everything like that so um it's a kick-ass song yeah, definitely all right so let's go to uh sully from houston uh he asks to a two-part question this this second question is a real layup for us here to let us brag a little bit but number one how did Bo scarborough look at the combine he was dominant at one point in Alabama. I'll let Byron take that one because he's the he's the Bo Scarborough connoisseur around here. Is that what you consider it? Yeah, I could I consider you a a, a a bit of a budding connoisseur of everything Bo Scarborough. Well, he's somewhere. He lives some. I, I used to think he was a Legarrette Blunt, and now I realize he's really got a lot more of the body type of maybe like a Derrick Henry. So somewhere he's got those guys make the. Uh, Kind of like the uh, NFL comp list for that guy. And when I hear those two names, I got to start paying attention. You guys know I've always, I may be the, I may, I may have the most allegiance to LeGarrette Blunt. No, you may, of course you do. In the whole, in the whole industry. <clears throat> yeah, I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, obviously Scar Scarborough was a little bit disappointing on the bench press for such a big guy. People thought he'd put up more than 14 reps, but I mean, he had, on stage, it certainly looked like he had some of the longest arms up there. I'm looking now, 33 and one half inch arms. Those are those are the longest arms of ten any inch running, hands. Any running back at the combine, yeah, the 10 inch hands. He reeled off a four five two. That's Derrick Henry, essentially Derrick Henry's speed. It's a 228 a pounds. 40 inch vertical, 10 foot nine broad. He's if you look at the uh, if you look at three sigma athlete who uh, who does the spark scores he he has a spark score of one thirty three point four that was third best in the entire combine behind Saquon Barkley and Nick Chubb 
who Nick Chubb, who's who as 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 I watch more and more of him, I'm getting sicker and sicker on who's moving up my personal rankings to a very high high spot. Um, but as far as the NFL percent, his NFL percentile dating back 20, 25 years, Bo Scarborough as as an athlete from a pure athletic profile from the combine, eighty three point fifth percentile. Yeah, and I mean, what we know about him is, you know, we we haven't seen. We saw one of his. I think it was his three cone had a pretty good time on it, close to the historical average. We actually know for a big guy, and he, he he's going to be a straight lineish downhill player. He's got decent feet. He's not going to kill you with elusive uh, lateral agility or anything along those lines. So we're not really expecting that to show up. But I'd say overall, in my opinion, Bo Scarborough had a a good combine for the player that I expected him to be. And right now, he's still going to probably live right around. It's somewhere in the top, you know, he'll probably be close to cracking the top 10 in a very deep class for me. And that's not a knock on him. I mean, that's a, that means that that is a, that is a guy that I definitely first, like. It means he'll probably be a first round dynasty pick at the very end of the first round. I mean, the guy finishes with just an incredible amount of power. This is a player that we've seen on videos doing standing backflips at, you know, 230 pounds. You know, he's not going to be a creator, but uh, I think he's got – there's a real – to me, there's a role for players like that. There's room for players like that in the NFL, and there's only so many that that uh, that are made that are made and built like that. So, yeah, I like Bo Scarborough. I mean, in most of our leagues these days are PPR, so maybe you'll tap the brakes a little bit there. But as a potential – as like a potential goal line threat, I mean – I think he. I think he can be like a Legarrette Blunt in this league. I definitely do. Well, I think that also. I mean, Bo Scarborough last year. I know. It, I know it's not saying much, but he did have the. I believe he had the second most receptions of anybody. He only had seventeen receptions, but I believe that was number two on that football team. Yeah, he's he's a year. decent. He's a decent receiver. He just didn't get a he, lot of. He catches a activity. couple balls a game. I mean, a couple yeah, balls a game yeah. is pretty pretty good for college. Yeah. He's a guy um, I think has a really great balance too. So I, yeah, Bo Scarborough, man, yeah. From that's that's somebody we'll be keep we'll be keeping a couple of fingers on his pulse for sure. Couple, let's not put him anywhere else. Uh, so here's number two from. Don't Sully give from, Eagles fan any ideas. <laughs> number two from Sully from Houston. I'll let Byron answer this since he's the pricing king. How can you guys afford so little? How can you guys afford to charge so little for such great content? It has to make the other industry cats maniacal. <laughs> what do you say, Byron? Well, it's been because we are maniacal, but uh, <laughs> the, the the short answer is that we can't, and that uh, we're you know. There's, there, there could, there. We are looking at price increases for roster watch, so we'll just have to see how it goes. We're certainly going to take care of everybody all of that our... was around. Everybody that was around is going to stay at the price. They'll get grandfathered in, but you guys are going to have to always make sure that you get your credit cards updated um, in a timely manner. You know, and that's because... something where we're going to be working to improve. It's on the development list right now. It's not really been much of an issue, but as we make those changes, we're going to certainly make it easier for you guys to update your cards and just stay current with the su- subscriptions that you have. I mean, you won't believe it. There's going to be a day when there's going to be a day where there's people still paying 2.99 a month for roster watch. They're there, original. What do you mean? There still are. There's yeah. A ton, that's what I mean, a ton that's of people paying But I'm saying there's going to, there's going to be a, a day way down the road. Right. When, uh, when people are getting it very cheap compared to the rest. Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a good reason to, if you listen to this podcast and aren't 
a subscriber or have put your membership on hold in the off season, this is a good time to make sure you have an active active subscription with us uh, to get the pricing that we currently offer. You can't, like Sully from Houston said, I mean, it 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 puts the rest of the industry on tilt because it our pri- they think our <laughs> prices are too cheap. It does. Like you've actually had that conversation at FSTA with people, right? They've kind of said, "What the fuck, dude." <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> definitely, definitely, and even the price, the prices they've told us they think we should be at, even if we have a price increase, we're going to be below those prices. We're still going to be the cheapest in the business. This is one question that I actually did read beforehand because he it's from comes from our guy CT Cop. That's I don't know, I think it's Cop K A U P P. Because he says if you have five minutes, I'd appreciate you giving this a read, you'll know where my mindset is and why I asked the question. He, he asks us, what do you want your legacy to be? And when I read the story of him, it's a story actually a lot like my story. He, he had a dad that got a terminal illness in the year 26 and who died in the year 2016. Actually a dad who he had, um, you know, clearly been real close with and actually had done some work with the same way I had done some professional stuff with my own dad and seems pretty close to the guy and um talking about i guess his legacy was wanting to carry on a lot of the stuff that you know his old man instilled in him and for me it's exactly the same like if i think about what i want my legacy to be i want my legacy to be somebody who um somebody who loved his family and who took care of his family and put his family first and most important and everything i want to be remembered as somebody who not only loved my family but treasured my family just like my dad did I want to be somebody who's remembered as doing things his own way and somebody who, uh, you know, works, works for himself. And as Byron knows, and Byron's been the same way, there's been very little part of either of our careers where we've worked for anybody but ourselves. Um, we're kind of self-employed guys, and that's just kind of, you know, what I got growing up with two parents. Uh, who were self-employed, but you know, I always want to work for myself. I don't want to feel like I worked a day, a day in my life. I want to be happy with what I do. I want to make others happy. I want to educate others, and you know, bring them into my life in ways where I can help improve theirs. And the way that I've done it is through this cockamamie fantasy football <laughs> advice business. But you know, if I feel like we've built such an awesome community where it really is helping people, and it really is helping people to enjoy what they love so much, and and so. Uh, for me, you know, I feel like, you know, roster watching all this stuff that we do is, 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 is part of my legacy, too. But, you know, most importantly, somebody who does something their own way, um, somebody that, uh, you, you know, somebody who is caring for others and wants to help others. And most importantly, somebody that treasures their family. What about you? What do you want your legacy to be? Well, I mean, it's probably a reason that we're such good friends. I mean, I. I can't really outline it much better than that. I mean, I'm extraordinarily close to my family and the number one thing I want to do in this world is be able to, you know, help my family and, you know, and of course my friends and yeah, definitely my legacy, just knowing that I'm somebody that will always be there to, to help in a time of need for, you know, for really for anybody, but especially for those of my, you know, those that I really care about and that are, you know, like you say, your family and your friends. And I'm not like Alex. I don't have children yet, but someday maybe I'll have some children. I can, uh, you know, pass that a lot of, a lot of life experience on and, and, um, all of that, um, love and attention to as well. I certainly cherish, cherish my family. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think of it from a couple of other 
angles as well. I mean, I think, you know, definitely, I think we're in this world. We're pretty much all here just to help each other get through this thing. And so um, that's, that's a big part of it. But like Alex says, man, I mean, we're wired a little bit differently. I think in the end, I'll, as a self-assessment, like hopefully somebody that had a zest for life and wasn't scared to take a little bit of risk and really is kind of willing to go for it. Um, kind of a thoughtful person. And, um, you know, when I was younger, I used to think to myself that if somebody ever knew every detail of my life, they had access to it and like could write it into a novel, it would be one hell of a fucking novel that would blow, <laughs> that would blow your goddamn socks off. And so I, I think I've settled down a little bit, you know, but, uh, definitely that. And then, you know, in terms of our, our business and maybe what we're doing in the industry, because I think you can look at this question a little bit that way. Um, you know, maybe he's a little bit of a pioneer in some ways is what I'm finding out that maybe how we're viewed in the industry a little bit. And that inspires me. And I think it's, I mean, I, I think that's kind of how we are wired in the first place. So it uh, makes a little bit of, a little bit of sense. So yeah, definitely. That's definitely like how, how I guess I, what I'd want my legacy to be. It's kind of it's a it's a different kind of question, but I think it's an awesome question from CT Cop. That's the kind of thing that, that 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 sort of mental exercise is something that everybody should do every now and then to reset and remind yourself what's what's really important. So we appreciate that 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 question from our man, and uh, yeah. And so, I want to and the, and I want to have a legacy that involves catching a whole shitload of badass of fish. fish. Yeah, a whole lot of fish. <laughs> I can't I can't believe I left that part out. Okay, um, here's the next one. Um, oh, and, and, and also like, I'd like mine to also involve like, um, you know, at some point finding a place where I just have a ton of, a ton of access deer that I can shoot and give out to my friends. Cause that's the it's most the, delicious. It's just delicious. Yep. Okay. Um, second to elk. Hey, have is, you, have you had elk? Oh yeah. 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 I've had elk once and it's the most red delicious. It's like, it's elk has like. It's the closest it's like thing to this, beef. It's got blood. It's so, yeah. It's like the. Bl I don't know if it's like bloodier or what makes it so red, but it's red like the primest of the prime steaks uh, that you could ever buy. Um, you know how venison sometimes is a little bit more kind of pink than red. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, elk is red and bloody. Yeah. What? And let me ask you this: What makes Axis deer so taste so much better? Well, you know, Axis is an exotic. It's from India. And so like oh, in, te okay. in Texas, they've been brought over for many years as like, you know, game animals, some of them in the high fence deals and all this stuff. But they've gotten out over time a lot like those nil guys that I went to go hunt down at the Laguna down by South Padre. Um, <clears throat> the nil guy is supposed to be incredible at the very top of the mountain to eat as well. That's an the Indian. What? The, the what? nil guy, N-I-L-G-A-I. Oh, I've, I've heard people talk it's about like, that. But... It's about the size of an elk. You need a big gun to pretty, I mean, you you got a good shot on like a 270 or you need like a, you know, what my buddies have like these 300 wind mags. But anyways, um, <clears throat> those are all exotics that have been brought to Texas that over time have escaped from where they're from and started like natural, big natural populations. So, there's so many axis deer in central Texas. I mean, there's these, then because they're exotics, they're, there's no hunting season for them. You can take them whenever you want. And they are way, I mean, significantly better tasting than a whitetail 
uh, deer. And by the way, on the elk, you know, my buddy Hodges that lives in Colorado, he made a good point on the elk. These deer around here, they forage for all kinds of shit, man. Acorns, mm-hmm. grasses, they, they, the alfalfa is really good um, source of uh, food for them and makes the meat taste really nice. But the elk, at least the wild elk, all they do, they only eat grass. They are, it's like a grass, it's just like a grass fed game animal. That's, right. It's, I think that's part of the reason it's so good. That's interesting. The grass would make it taste better than some of that other foraging food. You know, it's kind of I just weird. think it's a little less gamey like that. You know what I mean? Look, if you go to Bob's Steak and Chop House, which is the best steak that I've ever had, and most people I talk to say it's have great. ever had, they have, in the day and age where all you see is hormone-free, free-range, organic, grass-fed beef, that's like the expensive thing at Whole Foods or whatnot. You go to Bob's Steak and Chop House, and they advertise that it this is – Top two percent USDA prime corn-fed beef, and the I think the corn leads to more marbling. Yeah, in the beef, it's a it's a fattier, more marbled meat. So I guess you could maybe make an argument that if some deer get into some look, a lot of these deer are eating corn out of yeah, these from deer the, from the feeders from the feeders. Yeah, agreed. Okay, uh, let's see. Let's go to the next one. This one comes from Re- at Real Mike Zardas. He says, Brown's ideal draft scenario and free agency acquisitions. I mean, you and I are on the same page with the draft scenario, right? It's take Saquon at one, and if you're dying for a quarterback, you're going to have still plenty of options of a couple which of good they guys are, Which they are, and they are. But all right, just let me ask you this. What if they really love one of these quarterbacks? What if they decide, man, you know what? Baker Mayfield's our guy, and we just love him so much more than the others. Do you still, I mean, could you still take Saquon one or at that point you just have to take your quarterback number one because you know that's something that you have to get done? I mean, if that's the way that you've evaluated uh, the draft, then you have to pull the trigger at one on the quarterback. If that's the way you evaluated it. It makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the way I see it too. I look at the Browns and, you know, they have a, I'm looking at our team needs tool right now. So we have need number one is quarterback. We've we've analyzed need number two is actually actually being cornerback, need number three as running back, need number four as edge, need number five is offensive tackle, need number six is wide receiver, and need number seven is free safety. I'm not sure that there's a. I mean, I don't know if you've watched much of Minka Fitzpatrick, but the more I watch him, the more I realize that Nick Saban is like the all-time Jedi of defensive back play, and he has that guy playing as a nickel corner and a safety. I know a lot of people want him to play outside corner at the league, but I would do what Saban does with him, whatever that is. So I'm not sure if there's a corner you really take there. I mean, I, I'm with Byron. If there is a scenario where you have a couple of these quarterbacks pretty close to one another, right? Like, and there's not the, you know... There's not that much dividing them. Just take Saquon number one overall and see who falls to you at four. Because you know, I mean, you know that the Indianapolis Colts aren't going to be, if they have Andrew Luck back, they're not going to be taking a quarterback. I mean, I think you're pretty, if you take Saquon at one, I think you're pretty much guaranteed the Giants take a quarterback at two or trade out and somebody trades up for one. I think the Giants would stay put and take a quarterback at two in that scenario. At three, so that, at, at three, you know they're not going to take a quarterback, but that becomes a prime trading spot 
for a team that wants to. So worst case scenario, two quarterbacks are off the board when you get to four. And so, I mean, out of Rosen, Darnold would probably be gone. I think Rosen would be gone. I think you'd probably be down to Mayfield and Josh Allen at that point. Both those guys seems like they could really be fits in Cleveland to me. Yeah, or I think any of them could be fits in Cleveland. I yeah, and, and, it, it just, and, and it really if you're afraid those two guys are gone, if yeah, exactly. If you're afraid those two guys are gone, then hell, you're going to be happy as shit if you get Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold. And I'll tell you this, man. But here's here's the one thing that I will say, and why I'm not sure about how any of this is going to go, because they have Scott McLuhan in there as an advisor and consultant, and he's a guy who takes hard stances on players. I feel like there's going to be one of these quarterbacks that he falls in love with. You know, and, and that you know maybe he influences Dorsey and these guys. Um, that they this guy's supposed to be Mayfield. McLuhan's guy is supposed to be Mayfield. Well, if that's the case, then that would be very interesting because doesn't that go a little bit against what Dorsey's traditionally done? And Dorsey? and what Hugh Jackson traditionally done, and right. and Dorsey made it pretty clear that he he's the one that wears the big boy pants, and that McLuhan is just he wasn't even very clear that he was still going to be on as a consultant much longer. I mean, so. It'd be interesting yeah. to see who has the influence. I mean, you know me. I think Baker Mayfield is, at this point, I've still got more film evaluations. At this point, I I feel very strongly about Baker Mayfield. If the Browns come out of this draft with a Saquon Barkley and a Baker Mayfield, I mean, that's a real job, man. That's a real job. <laughs> by the by the way, by the way, maybe you can I shed mean, that's some light sick. on dude, 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 that's an, like, that, that, I'll just, I'll go out and say it. That's a franchise changer. They're going to be good if they do that. Hey, by it, the way, it, 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 it will not be long be, before they're good if they just add those two players. Oh, they'll be they'll be noticeably. Inst- I think they'll good. win five, they'll five be, or yeah, six, six yeah. games instantly. Yeah, like yeah, that. totally. Um, dude, Baker Mayfield, he's a he's he's, he's a good. Yeah, he's um, good, dude. Yeah. Hey, speaking of, I saw some guys on Brown Twitter firing around some stuff yesterday. Did. And I know you've really looked long and deep into all this Sashi Brown stuff. And you know, one of my one of the potential knocks on him is, yeah, he's accumulated the picks, but he has passed on all these good quarterbacks. The the one thing that made it seem like it hurt a little bit more is last year, not only did they trade out of the early pick where maybe they could have had Trubisky, but then they were the ones that could have had Watson but traded that pick to the Texans. Yeah. No, I mean, that's definitely true. Did, did you, like, I know that you were a lot higher on Deshaun Watson than most, but at that point in time, I didn't think that was egregious. My evaluation on Watson wasn't, I mean, clearly, I, I think 85% of the world missed on missed on Watson. I mean, and he was you know my what? number one quarterback what? in the class, so, I mean, if I needed a quarterback, I would take Deshaun Watson. What? I thought he was a guy that was worth 100%, per, 100% of the world missed on exactly how sick he, he would be. Well, no one saw that fair. coming. That's fair. That's fair. No one saw it coming. I mean, I'm just saying that that is that that is, and I don't know. Maybe somebody will argue that was Hugh behind that or something, but that's a little insult to injury when you consider the kind of the, I mean, really the bevy of franchise changing quarterbacks that they passed on the last well, few years. And 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 Hugh Jackson's one and one and thirty one is the head coach of that goddamn team. If uh, you're gonna fire Sasha, you need to fire Hugh Jackson. And that's first. a reasonable stance. And it's also a reasonable stance to get at least give Sa- whenever the team does get good again, you need to give Sashi a little bit of credit. Um, I'd say that's reasonable as well. All right, let's go to this one. This comes from at CMC Branding. 
He says, is Trey Quinn going to be added to the next update of the best ball cheat sheet? Uh, that's his first question. The answer to that is yes. I've already added him on diversion 1.3. For anybody who doesn't know, uh, Trey Quinn was actually our top scorer on the wide receiver on-field scorecards this year. Trey Quinn out of SMU. Uh, we get to watch every route by every wide receiver every year and grade every single route, every drill. Trey Quinn was our winner this year. So he was a, uh, you know, the winner last year was Cooper Cup. Uh, the year before that, I went and looked back. It was uh, actually Tyler Boyd, who we've got some good news on uh, here recently that all of his criminal charges have been dropped. Maybe a guy who could be a super post, post, post hype sleeper for this upcoming season. We, he, he ran really, really good routes uh, that day in Indy. Um, so yeah, Trey Quinn, he's at the very bottom of the cheat sheet. I think that he's a fine play uh, there with your final pick in best ball leagues, depending on where he ends up. I mean, he could make a first year impact. That, like that kid's, he's bigger than your average slot wide receiver and he's fast and he's got big hands and he catches with them and just a little bit bigger catch radius than you would think. He's a, he's a, he's a very rich man's Cole Beasley. Um, say any other thoughts on, on Trey Quinn, Byron? Well, my um, approval for my media credential at SMU Pro Day just came through, so we'll definitely be set at that one. That's a big one. That's two important fantasy wide receivers that right here in in Dallas, as I was driving through Highland Park just last night, cruising by SMU. I'll tell you what, I'm you were having to dodge a few bullets driving through that nasty part of town. Man, I went over to this area called Highland Park Village, as I have a cousin who had a grand opening at some swanky boutique store over there and come to find out that is the first quote-unquote shopping center in the world and they do was, a lot of shopping in that oh area. i'll tell you i told him when i was in the store <laughs> i said man i said this reminds me of newport beach california and it reminds me of west palm beach florida just the swankiest of the swanky. I said, man, this is these these folks, these folks that Matthew Staff <laughs> where Matthew Stafford are from, they 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 grow up in an entirely different world. They sure do. Yep. But I'll tell you what, these players I like these listener questions for this pod, but what I'm really liking are the listener questions about the players. That just creates amazing content for this podcast to come on here and ask us about Trey Quinn and Bo Scarborough or whatever it has to do with some maybe important guys in our dynasty leagues. That's a, those are great talking points for these pods. Well, here's another one from CMC Branding. He says, does Dallas Goddard make the cheat sheet if he goes to the Saints at the end of round one? Kid looks great on tape. You know, to be honest, the fact that Dallas Goddard isn't on the cheat sheet, I haven't I hadn't read this beforehand, but the fact that he's not even on the best ball cheat sheet to begin with is a bit of an oversight by me. He needs to be on there. He's a guy who you can certainly take at the end of best ball drafts. So on version 1.4, I'll be getting up probably during this weekend because there's already a couple changes that I, I'm, I've been itching to make after making the Derrick Henry change yesterday for 1.3. And Goddard will go on there. If he goes into this, if, if he goes to the Saints at the end of round one, he would be, I mean, he would be jacked way up <laughs> the, the cheat sheet because that's just the kind of guy who they can use. Let me ask you this, Byron. What, what do you think of that question, first of all? And secondly, what do you think about uh, some of these swindly rumors that Jimmy Graham could end up back in New Orleans? I think they make sense. And if in the situation where he does not end up back in New Orleans, then, yeah, I think if Dallas Goddard ends up with Drew Brees, 
that's somebody you got to start paying attention to. I mean, naturally, Jimmy Graham, that, that whole thing makes sense. They're in a position where they can do it. It's a great fit. It's a team ready to win. On the other hand, this is his last opportunity for prob- potentially a, a pretty massive payday. So we'll see if one of these other teams is just willing to to break the bank for him. Yeah, I think uh, – yeah. Uh, but I think that, that they need that kind of player. I think that's why CMC branding is smart that he brings up Goddard. That's – a golly. You know, we don't generally like to go with rookie tight ends. I mean, last year was a little bit different. We had some exposure to Evan Ingram just because we knew that he wasn't going to have to line up and be doing any of the inline stuff and not having to be in all those rooms. He was basically what we projected just to be an overgrown wide receiver, which is exactly how they used him. Um Goddard kind of projects in the same way. So I think that, yeah, he's certainly a guy to keep an eye on. What do you think about the rise of Mike Gesicki? I think it, I mean, when you have that kind of athletic profile, I think that, I think that you definitely need to rise. Um, He's he's a guy, he's he's a guy we liked at the season. Yeah, yeah. It was, it came down to between Gesicki, Fumagalli, and Jordan Atkins for who was going to be the, uh, who was going to be the all senior bowl tight end outside of Goddard, who got the Aaron Colvin, award for a guy that got hurt during the senior bowl who would have certainly been on the all senior bowl team had he not but um you know i, I think that gesicki is a guy who from the little bit of his tape that i've watched i've certainly watched him more closely at the senior bowl than any tape that i've watched but he's not going to be a blocker either so that's another guy who you know probably needs to be on the cheat sheet there at the end. See, we, we, we get these listener questions, we talk things through, and I'm making notes right now here for version 1.4 on the cheat sheet to get Gesicki and Goddard maybe. Do you think they should be – I think they need to be in the Ricky Seals-Jones, Tyler Croft, kind of Rico Gathers area, you know, somewhere around there. Um, yeah, I think that I, makes sense. I want them before. I want the Jake Butts and the Tyler Higbees and the Steven Andersons of the world. Right? Somewhere yeah. in there? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. And then next question. Let's go to Keith Locklear. Better to hold on to Greg Olson or Evan Ingram for the next two years? I'm assuming this is either a dynasty league with two-year contracts or maybe a keeper league uh, where you can keep for two more seasons. Who do you think for the next two years, Evan Ingram or Greg Olson? That's a pretty fair question. I mean, I, I'm I'm probably going to lean towards Evan Ingram. So am I. It's only because I mean, dude, we were up there at the we were up there in the PFWA booth to view the viewing the viewing sessions, and man, whenever he walked by and he was talking to some of us in the media, Greg Olson sure did look like he was a kind of ready to be a media guy. He <laughs> had on the NFL Network stuff. He was st- stopping to talk to everybody. I really think he has a good career for himself uh, there in the media after football's over. I wonder if he's going to be around for two more years. You've, I mean, it's I don't know, man. We're, we're seeing every year more and more of these guys start to you – know, a lot of these guys start to kind of retire a little bit earlier these days. Um, Greg, well, Olson, Greg Olson's me, had a good run, man. He's 32 years old. He'll be thirty-three years. He'll be thirty-three years old in two days. So we're talking about his thirty-three-year-old and his thirty-four-year-old season. You know, it's not dinosaur age, but 
He's getting, getting to be pretty old. He's had a pretty long, you forget, he spent, he withered away for the first point, part of his career with the Chicago Bears. And it's a lot of the reason why we don't draft these tight ends early in Dynasty. We'd rather sh- swoop in a little bit later on guys that have been around for a couple years. The Johnny Smiths of the world, the Adam Shaheens of the world, the guys who've had a little bit of time to develop and could be coming into their own now. With that being said, I, I just just the age in general, the fact that Evan Ingram's just such an absolute beast, even though we're going to get Odell Beckham back next year, I think that Evan Ingram's going to be a, a pivotal part of that offense any way you slice it. And to, you know what? To be completely honest, to God, having Odell Beckham there might actually help him. It could free some things up. I mean, so, there was nothing better than the volume that Evan Ingram was getting for a while there. But, yeah, it's a, I think it's a great question and a close call. Um I mean, Greg Olson could certainly have a couple other good seasons, but at Roster Watch, we like to get sick on the young guys that we've put so much work into when we know that Evan Ingram is a a freak. I'll tell you who the sneaky, maybe the sneaky tight end, rookie tight end is, speaking of the Jonu Smiths and of the world, that I liked at the Senior Bowl, who apparently did not get a combine invite, much like Ito Smith, the running back out of Southern Myths, who absolutely should have. Um, if he doesn't get drafted, that'll be a Corey Clement all over again. Yeah. Um, but uh, Dion Yelder. Oh, right. D.L. Um, Yelder, my guy out of Western Kentucky. That guy was good. a player. He's good. Yeah, he's good for sure. Yeah. Agreed. Make sure and keep him in mind. I wonder why he didn't get a combine invite. It's weird. 6'3", 251 at the Senior Bowl. I mean, actually had a very similar week to Jordan Aikens, in my opinion. I liked both those guys quite a bit. Here, the next question comes from another one from Shane Seeley. Uh, actually, he's got a three-pack here in this one. All right, so number one, favorite whiskey. I hand it to Byron. I don't drink whiskey. I drink tequila, and I drink mezcal, and I drink vodka. What's your favorite whiskey? Man, I'm starting to lose my fastball. Alex, you know, man, I, I think I was just only – Pulling on a few Miller Lights in Indianapolis these days, man. Getting things have come full circle. I haven't hit, I haven't hit the bottle on the whiskey in a while. Actually, I got here. Let me tell you, I got one for Christmas right here, a good one in this in this bar in this in this room right here that I haven't had any to drink out. Of. Let me see what kind it is. Hold on. <laughs> Byron goes and gets the bottle of whiskey. I got I got some Buffalo Trace. In here, Kentucky Straight Bourbon, which you know over the years. Guys, when I used to drink scotch, it was Laphroaig all the way all day. I wanted a cedar dry chest of just peaty, smoky scotch. But when we went to Louisville, Kentucky for the Teddy Bridgewater Pro Day, my dad told me before I went on that trip, he said, it's time to... Time to grow up and be a man and start drinking bourbon instead of all this scotch. And I'll never forget, we got Louisville, Kentucky, one of the really cool... Under-the-radar food under scenes. Under-the-radar towns in this... Food scenes and just towns in this country. The food was unbelievable. And when you go there, you know, it's kind of like going somewhere like Austin and there's craft, local craft beer everywhere or something up there. It's local craft bourbon. And everywhere you go, it's, you know, flights of local craft bourbon. So up there, I got some flights of their of their local bourbon. And that, that was a game changer. I pretty much stopped drinking, uh, scotch after that. And, uh, and went to bourbon. I don't know. I like it all maker. I'll drink makers. I'll drink, uh, bullet. I don't really like the bullet rye so much. This Buffalo trace isn't so bad. And let me see what this other bottle is. (laughs) 
Then I then I got a bottle of this 1835 Texas bourbon. So I got two bottles of whiskey that I haven't even opened around here. Yeah, you need to, I'm getting soft, man. You need you need to get fired up around. And I don't there, I don't want to and I don't want to re-gift them because I'd feel bad about that. Yeah. All right. Next question: The most hospitable NFL team. We know you don't love the Saints. Or the Ravens, these dirt balls, not allowing anybody has anything to do with fantasy. Certainly hate the Saints. What do you think, Byron? The most hospitable, from our experience, would it be the what, Chargers? Yeah, the Chargers love their roster watch. They were so nice. They invited me back out for regular season activities. <clears throat> the Jaguars, we got there right as camp expired, and it was the first couple days of in-season practice where the media availability goes really limited. So there they felt bad. I couldn't get the access that I was hoping for, but they did everything they could in Jacksonville to get get me like the roster watch IDs and a player interviews. So they were cool there. And then the um, outside of the time that the communications girl had to sprint across the field to pull me away from Cooper Cup after practice for being <laughs> for being I was I was out of I was apparently outside the media boundaries. Um, outside of that, they've the my experience at, with the Rams is always that's a great camp. Look, we love to go to the training camps where they let you just run willy nilly, and you get to just go out there. And I mean, they all have like po- most of them have policies with obviously photography and video, but some of these ones you really like the Cowboys camp or Rams. You really get to go out there and have a lot of access all around the field. And then there's other ones where you go and it's a little more like these pro days where they're like, all right, you got to stay between this cone and this cone. And like the Denver Broncos is a little more restrictive of a training camp. So, yeah, Seattle, those guys were good to us as well. So the guys on the West Coast are a little more chill. Final question. Um, Man, these these, these listeners know us too well, man. Old Shane Seeley, the last question from him. He says, best pleasant surprise for food at a location. E- example, your indie shrimp cocktail. <laughs> I can't think of one. Um, you know what's is kind of a surprise food that's really good is you go to, I mean, it's another one for another. We do so much of our traveling having to do with football. So, But at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, you wouldn't think of that as a town with awesome seafood. But the seafood there, like that Mobile Bay and – the the areas offshore there in the Gulf of Mexico is just so fertile and alive with fish that you get such fresh seafood there. And even at this place we go to almost every night in Indy called Loda Beer Garden, they have this ahi tuna BLT that's like my favorite sandwich in the whole entire world. And I would not think that my favorite sandwich in the whole entire world would be like a fish sandwich that I would get in Alabama. But it just is the case. And that thing is like all this rare sliced ahi tuna with like these awesome pieces of um, uh, uh, farm-to-table bacon on it, the big, like thick bacon that's a little bit chewy, and then this kind of—I um, don't even know how you explain it—this kind of creamy, like horseradishy sort of sauce on top with capers and other, uh, you know, lettuce and stuff. It's an—it's an amazing sandwich. I loved the fried green tomatoes down in Mobile. Those are really, really good. Man, unexpected ones. I don't know if any of these are entirely unexpected, but I'll reel off a few here. You mentioned the tuna sandwich. The best tuna sandwich in the country, seared tuna sandwich. And this is from my buddy who's a salty saltwater captain who catches uh, tuna all day and eats, eats them right there on the boat. And he lived in Hawaii. 
He says that the best tuna, tuna sandwich in the whole country lives at Hop Dottie in Austin, Texas, which is actually Nick Foles' dad's restaurant. Yeah. It's an extraordinarily popular restaurant. They kind of changed the dining experience there. And the burger, it, they're known for just like mind-blowing hamburgers. But of all the 20 times I've ever been there, I can't even get a hamburger because the tuna sandwich is so damn good. And I can't I, get yeah. it that good anywhere else. I've heard about it. I've never and had it. What Josh says makes the difference with the tuna sandwich there. Not only that it's good tuna, but... Is it on sweet bread? No, they grind yeah. it. They grind oh. it and then they form a patty out of it. Versus oh. just cutting off like a f- chunk of tuna and searing it and throwing it on a bun. Something about the ground tuna, it still stays real rare when they cook it. And it's got like the little tempura seaweed on it. And it's got the hot wasabi. Oh, dude, it's fucking awesome. So that's good. There is a gyro in Boulder, Colorado that absolutely blows my titties off. And I just would never, wasn't expecting uh, to find that there. And um, let me see. I don't know. I guess otherwise, just my favorite food places in the country are Manhattan, New Orleans, and Austin. I and, and San Francisco's in there too. Those are like, in my opinion, those that's where the. I haven't been to Boston yet for like all the lobsters and all that stuff, but uh, those are the four best food towns in America to me. The other thing that you, the other thing, it's kind of unexpected, and like in in West Virginia, you can get incredible Italian food. I don't have a specific place or anything like that, but there are parts of West Virginia that are so full of Italians that you would never believe it. Um, it's where they invented the the pepperoni roll. And so, like, yeah, I would say, like, pepperoni rolls from, like, any town you would think is some old hick town in West Virginia. If you see a sign, I think they call them pierogies. If you see a sign for those, you know, on the side of the road with some old dude selling them, you ought, you probably ought to stop and get one because that's where they were invented and that's where they're the best. Well, oh. uh, well yeah, we would be... It would be a serious violation if we didn't at least mention the baby back ribs in Memphis, Tennessee, as as guys who just really fancied themselves as barbecue connoisseurs from Central Texas. Which 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 gives which gives me another uh, unexpected rib pleasure, and that's at the Rutherford Grill in Napa, which is owned by the Houston's restaurant chain, and it's uh but it's this it's it's an awesome restaurant in Napa. I come from the Texas Hill Country. That's where I live. That's what I'm all, you know, that's what I'm all about. Hopefully I'll die here and you can spread my ashes halfway, uh, you know, some of them here, some at the Senior Bowl, wherever, some at the beach. But they're called Texas Hill Country, you know, baby back ribs, and they're better than any baby back ribs you can get around here, mainly because you don't get baby back ribs here. You get you get spare ribs and St. Louis-style ribs here that just have uh, – pepper and salt on them and you know don't aren't that kind of fall off the bone rib that a lot of people like but down here they kind of look down upon so i i'm a fan of baby of the baby back rib i don't really enjoy this spare neither do i rib too, all that much too, too fatty or chunky too, or something yeah, kind of they, steak, too much cartilage steaky. on the end yeah. yeah it's no good and and you know i the last but not least here is i was listening to a meat eater podcast with steve Ranella. The uh, goat the other, of all podcasts. The other day, and he was yeah. down. He was down. That what do they call him? They call him. He was down with the gladesmen. Yeah, down I in, to that one, and and also with they were going off, offshore fishing for those swordfish. Swordfish, which is what our buddy Josh really wants to go do. It's the woolly, one of the wooliest kind. Our buddy Josh isn't interested in any kind of normal kind of fishing. I just, he, I just wish swordfish would taste better. 
because I don't like the way they taste, and you get so much meat off of them. But, but listening, yeah. listening to these guys talking about all their frog gigging in the in the Everglades and how they fry them up and they fry them up with the toes because they kind of like eating the toes, like the kind of like a fried fin or something on a fish that's kind of dirt ball, but you kind of like to kind of crunch around on. And mm-hmm. it did remind me that my great uncle had in Winter Haven, Florida, which is a kind of a shitty town but it was really nice back in the day because they got a bunch of lakes there this is years ago no offense to any listeners in winter haven not we don't oh i've still got family that lives there you know i was (laughs) just there last summer i mean my brother was just over there so you know it's it's it's, it's, just central florida whatever right but uh he had one of the nicest restaurants in all of florida and he knew all the so all the uh, guys for Baseball came down there for spring training, so he was like best friends with Carl Ustremski and all these guys from the Red Sox and all these other teams, and um, they used to come into his restaurant and frequent it when they were down for spring training, and uh, it did remind me that one of my favorite things to eat in Florida growing up were the frog legs at his restaurant were unbelievable. They taste just like chicken, right? It, it's a, it's like a little bit of a it, – it's almost like chicken cross with fish. It's almost like a watery-tasting chicken. Yeah, Does that fine. make any sense? No, I, I've 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 had them. I remember them tasting kind of mostly like chicken. I think my grandpa used to kind of fry them up. They're so good, man. Yeah. We used to do them. They were like broiled, where they'd get a little bit brown, and then there was a, you know, a garlic, lemon butter. Oh, was, you did. So yours weren't fried. No. Whoa, that's that's woolly. All right, um, we're not going to be able to get to all of these, man. Um, let's just we're going to get through as many as we can here in the next probably ten ten minutes or so. Um, do you, uh, how about this one? Would would you move Antonio Brown to draft Saquon Barkley in Dynasty? That comes from at Tommy underscore Coat. Yeah, I would. I think I would too. Uh, and the reason why is because I feel like Saquon could be the best decision that you ever made. Is it risky? Yes, but uh, you know Antonio Brown is getting up there in years for one. And for two, I just worry more about Ben Roethlisberger and what happens after he's gone. He's already floated the idea of retirement once. He's going to keep on floating it every year moving forward. Um, we really like Josh Dobbs, who's now a backup there. And I'd be interested to – we should have asked about his development at the Combine now that I think about it. But, the list um, is long, man. Yeah. But, yeah, I would I, I would move Antonio Brown for Saquon in that's Dynasty. Pretty, that's honestly a pretty easy decision for yeah. me. This one comes from uh, John Trombley at Bearded Whittler. I'd be interested. <laughs> I'd be interested to hear any shenanigans the Roster Watch crew has experienced south of the border. Well, <laughs> that's almost too much to even start. I've been going down to Mexico ever since. Like I, 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 I would during safer times when I was in college up to like two thousand and what two thousand four or something. Is that when we got out of college? Two oh four, around then. Um, 03. I just I graduated December of 03. I think I think I graduated. And I had a taken a half of like a victory lap. I had an extra semester. I was four okay. and a half years. Well, um I would go down to Mexico all the time, a little bit safer back then. The shenanigans are too many to list um from that time because that would be going across from you know uh, spring break in South Padre where we'd have spring break every year, going over to Matamoros. Um but, you know, there have been times even since college where we've gone down to Nuevo Laredo and to where we've gone down to, um, oh, man, what's the other one? Uh, I can't Acuna. Even, Acuna. It's the most dirt ball place Acuna. on the planet. Yeah. And, but, you know, since I haven't been back 
you know, except for one time, as I mentioned earlier, I, I used to be a rock musician. I've been down there twice because I played on the VH1 Best Cruise Ever, and I played on the Rock Boat, and both those went down to Cozumel. And that was just, uh, I mean, I think my wife went with me on one of those, and um, the other one was just, you know, touristy stuff, so it wasn't quite as fun. But, man, back in the day, you could go across, and, like, the strip clubs were just unbelievably dirty and... Um, the you know the uh all the bars they would have this stu- like i can't believe i used to do this shit like they would have like ice luges or something like that where you'd walk up to it and like you they'd put like the tequila inside this shot block oh, thing and you like put your dirty ass mouth up to the bottom of it and like and it all the it, it, the liquor would just come down it and so fast and it would fill your mouth up with all this nasty liquor um <laughs> We would buy, like, it was just, I can't believe how dumb we were, dude. I would, like, buy weed from people just on the streets and not even worry about it. Um, you know, just crazy, crazy times. Just completely out of my fucking mind. I can't believe, looking back, I didn't get in more trouble. But there's just, there's a lot of shenanigans. Um, I don't know, anything interesting, you, any interesting stories in particular, or just kind of more of the same as far as you're concerned? Well, come, first of all, coming across the wire here, this is coming home to roost a little bit. The Panthers have acquired wide receiver Torrey Smith from the Eagles in exchange huh. for a cornerback, Daryl Worley. This is a, this is uh, this is this is fairly expected. I'm actually make actually I'm impressed with Howie Roseman. This is a guy that from afar that you might have you could have easily thought Torrey Smith was just going to get cut, but at that five million dollar hit. Somebody like the Panthers who are looking for speed on the outside, willing to take that for a veteran. It's I think it's a good move for both rosters. I'm not, I have I have no interest in Torrey Smith. You know what that does? I'm gonna make a note right here. It makes me like Devin Funches more. Get a field stretcher. Like I really yeah, like that. I'm not I'm interested gonna... in Torrey Smith. I think it's a good schematically. I think it's a you know, they said they're tired of those big slow receivers in Carolina they're trying to make a change so this this makes some sense and they're not on the hook for too long with Torrey Smith as far as below the border man I know that we have the explicit rating on this uh on our podcast on iTunes I'm still not entirely sure exactly what I'm allowed to talk about (laughs) you should probably err on the side of caution yeah Acuna is one of the most dirt ball places I've ever been in my whole life. That's that's the home. It's of the, the kind t- of it's the kind of place that you can't really even wash off it's, you once you get back on the other it, side. It's the home of the ten dollar drink and drown. You go across the border, you pay ten dollars. These big clubs with fire pole, fire poles in them. You know, like from and you just so dangerous. You're going up and you down so to the different drunk, levels, and, and it's you just, got just, and you you got to ride a little fire as uh, like all, you slide you, down a pole to get down. It's all crazy. you can drink. All you can drink all night for ten dollars, and then and then as like some nineteen year old kid, you've got to find your way back across the border safely in a very very questionable area. And uh, that's down by Eagle Pass, where that casino is. That's a real. So that that's yeah. pretty. Disgu- I'll, I'll never forget. And that's where Sean Henry and uh, um, and uh, our buddy Judson, they had the big encounter with the Orange Kush at the border with the dogs. Oh right, uh, down why, there. Why were they bringing Orange Kush? Well, it had, it had, they all, it had they already all been. Mexico. It had already all been smoked, but it was. Uh, I. It was it was the dankest herb that anybody had ever encountered, and it just I think left a uh, left some kind of Im- impermeable residue in their car. Well, but, oh, uh, they they drove across the border. 
Yeah, they. We went back. From, See, we I, went back I from, have we, never driven across. We that went border. back from the drink and drown and passed out on the American side, and then those two assholes woke up in the middle of the night, decided they wanted to go back and party more. Jesus Christ, and man, they we went were over such, there and we they were such went through, idiots when we were younger. <laughs> they went through to the, the border and they got stopped as the dogs went bananas on their car. And it's just because they'd been getting high the whole way from Austin Sean, down there. Sean the, and Judd, Jesus Christ. On, man. The, on the Orange Kush, which basically back to our college days is a very notorious and legendary kind of current. It was up there with the Russian. Then I'd say the that Russian. my trip to Costa Rica with Hodges would be the first time I ever sampled what we refer to as the Costa Rican pizza. So that was pretty uh, an interesting trip down there, and then probably the <laughs> probably the wooliest thing that's ever happened to me though that I was legitimately scared is I was in Belize for like a, ten days or something, and then I I took a bus over to Guatemala, and uh, Belize is all English speaking. I I don't really speak Spanish. I can throw a few words out here and there, but the, you know the second you go. You get to Guatemala, walk across the line. There's no more English. It's dudes and machine guns, and it's all Spanish, right? And so I went on some bus that took me deep into the jungle to this – to Tikal. I mean, you guys have maybe heard of it. It's one of the most famous Mayan ruins in the whole world. It's it's unbelievable. But you go stay in this little jungle lodge where the generators go off at 8 o'clock every night, and you're just in this sweltering – sweaty just darkness all night long and then you go kind of march around the jungle and look at the ruins and stuff for a couple days while you're there you know there's monkeys and everything everywhere and when i got a bus back i was trying to get back to belize and i had a bus that picked me up at my lodge and then about halfway into the trip just i mean this is in the countryside in guatemala there's nothing around it looks like it's just like huge farmland out there. Like you would never be able to find somebody or know who to talk to. And he just started saying something that I couldn't understand. And he basically just pulled over and told me I needed to get out and just. Oh, Jesus. And just get out of the car. And I got really freaked out. And um, I tried to communicate with him. And it was, we really, what I finally came to understand is he was trying to let me know he was dropping me off there because there was going to be a bus that was going to come pick me up there. Yeah, well, and it was just a huge leap of faith to fucking just get out and just stand there. I had no idea, and I did. But eventually, the bus came, and uh, that got me back. But that got me back to the Belizean border. But I was, I was genuinely alarmed at the prospect of being stranded in the Guatemalan countryside. Yeah, you, you don't want to be stranded there. All right, so we'll, we'll end the podcast on, on, on that note. Uh, this has been the Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. Please, if you enjoy the podcast, go subscribe in uh, Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher. You can also always listen at rosterwatch.com backslash podcast. Please, if you enjoy it, give it a rating and a review. Uh, that helps more than you know. And also, like we talked about earlier, please go to rosterwatch.com, get a pro membership. It is the best way to support us as we go through this maniacal process of helping you to win in fantasy football and talking to you about Guatemalan uh, excursions and waiting for buses in random fucking dark forests. So for Byron Lambert, for the trash man, for the robot genius, and all of Roster Watch Nation. This has been the Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. We will see you next time. Yeah.